never say die! Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14, episode 142. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and my takeaway from the Bad News Bears movies is that a juvenile delinquent who breaks kids' arms and is the terror of the under-high school crowd, best way to reform him, nine games of baseball. (laughs) Suddenly, he's a good kid. Yeah, he's very, very concerned about the opinions of much smaller kids he used to prey on. It only took six games for me. I'm still playing. (laughs) Joel's still the bully at work. Beating up kids. (laughs) No, I'm the one getting beat up. I've got some serious questions about this entire thing. But first, or not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Patrick was trying to throw to us to hear about our (laughs) podcast network, which is the Podcast Collective. (laughs) It was a noble try. Yeah, well, that's what I get trying. See see what happens when I try, guys. That's That's why I don't. The lesson is never try. That's why we have never encouraged you. Oh, 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 that's a deep one. Deeper. Oh, that hurt. Yes, the podcast podcast collective where we have such shows as um, Joel's one and only, the uh, Happy Pants Hour. And we also have um, On the Block. On the Block. Humanity. Yeah. Uh, dating Baggage. The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy. I am Salt Lake and Mint in Boxcast. I have, I have a open. dirty confession. I have never listened to the internet with Scott the Pool Boy. You really should. I, I have heard that I should. I need to. I haven't either. The only podcast I listen to is ours. You know, you've heard the coffee. It's the only one with me on it. Well, yeah, the only ones with, when I'm on the episode. I mean, if I'm on <laughs> it, I'm wor- it's worth watching or listening or whatever. Got good taste, Patrick. <laughs> I've tasted you. Ew. Yeah, and um, I actually started listening. <laughs> you taste like tartar sauce. <laughs> started listening to another podcast this week. Um, Josh, you had it for me before. What was it? Something of the... Retro- Masters of the Retroverse. Yeah. yeah. It's a show very similar to ours, but they're uh, a newer show, and they've got a different take on some things, different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. But if you're interested in retro nostalgia then and now, uh, yeah, give them a look. Yeah, they actually, their current show is uh, about the Doom video game, which mm-hmm. I, after listening to it, I totally think we need to do a Doom, ga- a Doom show. Oh yeah, with the uh, the new one having just come out, it yeah. seems like a natural eventual fit, especially yeah. considering that I play the hell out of Doom in college. Oh yeah, and oh, the yeah, fact we that we need to have Patrick play a first person shooter, which I think would be <sighs> yeah. Maybe we'll lead into Duke Nukem and my weird obsession. <laughs> Pat's blowing. Which are two chunks. separate things, by the way. All right, so uh, yeah, Podcast Collective. If you're looking for our older stuff, uh, well, actually, before we get to that, uh, Geek Life Radio, noon on Saturdays. You can listen to the newest 40 Going On 14 mm-hmm. and hear that streaming. Also, you can get our older stuff on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. And if you would like to have a conversation with us, you can call us at 708 now rap. That's 708-669-9727. And uh, don't forget about Google Podcasts. It's on Google Music. You can find us there also. Yeah, and you can also reach out to us on Twitter at 40go14 or shoot us an email at 40go14 at gmail.com. And it looks like we actually have a voicemail from Nenim Loss this week. I'm pretty sure it's from Nenim Loss. He didn't identify himself, but it sounded like a familiar voice. All right, let's see what he has to say. (coughs) (coughs) You fuckers. Here I am, minding my own business, drinking my coffee, getting ready to go, and I happen to be listening to you guys' show. Just started your show on Escape from Rich Mountain. And the fucking furry comment. Ah, uh, fuck you guys. Now I gotta <laughs> clean coffee off my fucking workbench. 
Fuck you. It's no Joel joke, but it's fucking good. Alright. That's it for now. Let's see how the rest of this episode goes. Uh, fuckers. Lady house. Fucking whatever. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Which comment? What? That, uh, about, that one was a good one. About Fergie and uh, her lovely lady. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, because yeah, I, I typed something about hating on Fergie, and you're like, why does he Why does he hate the Duchess of York? <laughs> and somehow it got to uh, the movie being remade with Fergie in the place of The Rock. And uh, I'd forgotten about that joke, even though I was the one who made it until he dropped the voicemail. appreciate it when somebody finds something funny. I completely black out. I do all these shows completely shit-faced. Thanks for the love, Nanamoss. I appreciate it. That was him, right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, any uh, word off the uh, Twitter feed or anything on Facebook, Josh? Yeah, there were a few things on Facebook. Once again, uh, Nanamoss had some uh, comments about her Spider-Man show, and uh, we missed a few things, and he says he's going to send another voicemail uh, to go down the list. And like I admitted that uh, there were a few scenes even that I liked that uh, were probably an omission due to time or just slipped my mind when putting together the notes for the show. But, I mean, it is fair to say that uh, doing an exhaustive Spider-Man show probably would have been a three-hour episode. Oh, right. the, the Spider-Man, if we were to go full depth with Spider-Man, it would, just, it would be like Bat Month. Yeah. You know, we would have I would to, have had very little to say. Yeah. We would just and who have, wants to listen to that? Um, also... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. This this may have been there a while, but somehow I missed it. Uh, we got a link to the uh, many rules of cricket from Joe Dane. Hmm. So I thought that was awesome. That's awesome. We did. <clears throat> All right. So, yeah. So, you know what? I, I really think that we need to get together when Pat cuts up here. And um, we need to play a game of cricket and hook up everybody with GoPros. Oh, no. Who's the guy that gets all the balls thrown at him? Pat. I was going to say Bruce Valanche. <laughs> okay, I don't think we're talking about cricket anymore. <laughs> okay, I think it's about that time. It is totally Dang that it. time. This week in music, movies, and TV. Young sports, sports. All right, so this week we are looking at April 7th, 1976. I was, That's before I was a person. <laughs> <laughs> I got bad news for you. Oh <laughs> no! That's I was I was four years old, and I Patrick was, was thirty-eight. <laughs> God damn it! I knew it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I was negative three months. Wow, Joel, were you? Uh, I was uh, two. You were two, really? Yeah, huh. I'm the youngest on the show. Oh, fantastic! So uh, music. 1976, April. The number one song in the land is Disco Lady by Johnny Taylor. Disco I don't think I know that song. Uh-uh. I don't know. I, I could bring it up, but I'm afraid that... Uh, the Do Google it, because if it's the one I'm thinking it is... I... <clears throat> I'm just making it up. I don't know which one it is. Disco Lady. I, I'm pretty I think sure I've I know heard it. it. But I think I know Hang it, on. but I, 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 I'm not at all certain. Wait, is this it? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. It's pretty fucking smooth. Yeah. Oh, this is on Soul Train, too. Shake it up, shake it up. 
Yeah, yeah, this is one I thought. Oh yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. That's a live version. Yeah, that's him, uh, Disco Lady on uh, 1976 on uh, Soul Train. Train. Yeah. <laughs> in sports. When you when you come up for the wedding, Patrick, I will make sure they play Disco Lady for you. <laughs> well, then I gotta bring up my my uh, roller skates <laughs> and Just my leisure suits. <laughs> if I wasn't in the wedding, I would match match you on the leisure suit thing. <laughs> so uh, April nineteen seventy six also sees the release of Rush's twenty one twelve album. America's Hideaway, and the acronym of the week, which is B-S-A-T-S-B-B. Yes, that's uh, Ball Sacks and the Stinging Bumblebee. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bad combination. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's so much better than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. They're already puffy enough. Well, the album is actually the Live Bullet album, and that is... um, Steve, Bob Seger, Bob Seger and, the and the Silver, Silver Bullet. Bullet Band. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was trying to figure it out. Yeah, why didn't I? I don't know why that didn't even go to that. How can't you figure that out? You wrote it. No, I wrote no, it. No, I didn't. No, Mike oh. did the uh, first couple of the music. <clears throat> yeah, I did the music one today. Nice. So, uh, and now in honor of Joel, I'm going to talk about British music. So, yeah. uh, British pop group, The Brotherhood of Man, wins the 21st Eurovision Song Contest in the Hog, Netherlands. With the song "Save Your Kisses for Me," are you go- trying to capture lightning in a bottle again? By I am. I'm totally. I, it goes on to be the biggest-selling Eurovision winner ever. It's the Hague. The Hague. Yes. Yeah, it is. Did I say? What did <laughs> I say? Hague. Sorry, it was. I was trying to let it go. <laughs> it was just gnawing at the hog. Uh, the hog. Did I say the hog? You said That's the hog. fucking the awesome. <laughs> Sorry. That's awesome. That's right. That's right. Because I have no beer today, so I'm going with rum. So uh it go it is the biggest selling Eurovision winner ever and it is immediately covered by Bobby Vinton in the United States. So you better have it queued up. Oh yeah, Brotherhood of Man. Though it hurts to go away, it's impossible to stay. But there's one thing I'm gonna say before I go. I love you. I love you. You know uh, I'll be thinking of you. Everything I do It's not a bad song. But I guarantee you that the only reason Bobby Pittman covered that song is because he heard it and he couldn't believe that it wasn't him. He's like, wait a minute, I didn't sing this? Sounds like an Andy Williams song. You should see the... I wish... We need to post a video because you should see the legwork on these uh, Eurovision. Nope, this is... What was that other song that we found that was so good? I think Radiohead covered that. It's <laughs> not true. Uh, I can't remember the name of the other one that we fell in love with in one of the twees. Ding-a-ding? No, Ding-a-dong? Ding-a- Ding-a-dong, yeah. Ding-a-dong? Yeah. Are you sure? It, Something it, like that. It might have been... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, I just got that out of my head. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's... So, no, it's not Winchester, but Save Your Kisses for Me. Biggest selling Eurovision winner ever, uh, covered by Bobby Vinton, was not Winchester Cathedral, though that is an awesome song. Um, Mary Margaret McBride was an American radio interview host and writer. Her popular, popular radio shows spanned more than 40 years. In the 1940s, the daily audience for her housewife-oriented program 
numbered from six to eight million listeners. Which is pretty huge. That is huge. Yeah. Oh yeah. Considering Especially it was a, for the 40s. yeah, there was that was pretty much everybody who had a radio. Uh, she was called the first lady of radio, and she left the airwaves permanently on April seventh. Oh. Because there must be death. <laughs> I thought she just like quit. I think there's a lot of death in this one. Yeah. There's, there's more death. So uh, in movies, All the President's Men is the number one movie, knocking off Taxi Driver. All the President's Men is a great friggin' movie. It is. Talking to me? I've still never seen it. What? Yeah. Holy cats. Is that a movie that I have seen that you have not? Yeah. I've not seen it. It's one of those, one of those rare Venn diagrams. Wow. So uh, movies released this week include, strangely, The Bad News Bears. Weird. All the President's Men. They came from within. And got her pregnant. And <laughs> Family Plot. I think I've seen Family Plot. I'm sure I haven't. It grossed $13 million. Hmm. Ooh. That's something to do with a mortuary or something, right? It has Barbara Harris and Bruce Dern and William Devane. Interesting. I've probably seen it. Anyway, it sounds familiar. Uh, the world also lost an icon on April 5th as Howard Hughes, American industrialist, film producer, and aviator, died on his private jet over Brownsville, Texas at 1.27 p.m. on his way to Houston. At age 19, he inherited $650,000 his dad's interest in Hughes Tool Company, and the drill bit patent for which he turned in, into an estate valued at $2.5 billion at the time of his death. Damn. Yeah. Uh, for years, he was in control of TWA and Hughes Tool Corporation before he invested heavily in Las Vegas land and property. Before his death, he suffered from kidney insufficiency and constipation for years, and he stopped eating and drinking and developed uremic poisoning. Absolutely correct. Fantastic. Hughes became addicted to a cocktail of drugs that included codeine, Valium, and Liberum, and had only his hair and nails trimmed twice in the previous 10 years. He shrunk from 6 foot 4 to 6 foot 1 and weighed a skeletal 93 pounds at the time of his death. Spruce goose. Yeah, 93 pounds yes. is tiny if you're like 5 foot 5. Okay, to put that in reference, that is less than Katie weighs. Yeah. That is less than my 16-year-old daughter weighs. And how tall is he? Uh, 5'8". Yeah, so this guy started at 6'4", a very tall man. Not only did he lose 3 inches of height, but 93 pounds is just crazy. That's like me turning into my leg. Yeah. <laughs> so, on a higher note... Alicia Silverstone, star of Clueless, Batman and Robin, and Mismatch. Huh? Mismatch. Yeah. Never seen that. And some really hot Aerosmith videos was born on April 4th. So that is a thing that happened. That is a thing that happened. I actually, I enjoyed Clueless. Clueless actually yeah, was pretty good. I hated it. Of course you yeah. did. I didn't. Well, I mean, I hated those girls in high school. Why do I want to watch a whole movie about them? You knew them in high school? That type of girl. I was oh. going to say, she was like maybe th one when you were shut in high up. school. Shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> so TV. <laughs> the top shows are Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, MASH, and Charlie's Angels. Very 70s. Yeah. Very. Incredibly 70s. Here's a question. Would you ever want them to remake MASH? Um, uh, I would they? Would maybe, they do it as... maybe the first four seasons. <laughs> would they make it on a commentary on the current like Middle Eastern situation, or would they try and do it as a true like Korean War? Yeah, like a like a comedy like a period piece. They'd right. have to do it as a period piece because I don't think. I mean, do they even use the mash units anymore? No idea. Mobile what are the mobile army surgical hospital? Yeah, yep. I don't know if they do or not. That's a good question. But they have to have some kind of hospital set up near the front lines. Yeah, hmm. 
Anyway, uh, nope, Ray Teal. Yeah, Ray Teal was an American actor who appeared in more than 250 films and 90 plus television programs in his 37 year career. But he was best known for his longest running role as Sheriff Roy Coffee on Bonanza. Bonanza. Another guilty thing I have to say. Yeah, I have never seen an episode of Bonanza. I, I have uh, seen. I've seen some Bonanza. Fuck off, Joel. <laughs> Couldn't tell by the way you nailed that theme song there, Mike. <laughs> I want some right into the bullshit, huh, Josh? I'm get some beans. <laughs> All right. So April second in Syracuse, New York, Zane Lamprey was born, and he is now a comedian, actor, editor, producer, and writer for television and movies. He is best known for hosting Three Sheets and the Fine Living Channel and the Travel Channel in 2010. He also hosted Have Fork, Will Travel, which previously ran on the Food Network, a show focusing on local food and eating customs. Anybody familiar with him? No. No, he sounds like a, a lamer board, Anthony Bourdain. Kind of, yeah. You know, the three sheets thing, for some reason, okay, this is going to uh, bring up some ire for me for the last week at work. Somebody at work in a meeting commented that they were talking about somebody who they thought was drunk at work, because I work in a warehouse, uh, so, uh, a warehouse environment now. And they said they were six sheets to the air. What? That doesn't make any sense. And I was just, I was, and I kind of looked around. I mean, it's one of those situations where I'm looking around like, are we all going to let that go? And then I realized nobody else knew what the hell, you know, they were like, oh, okay, that's apparently what that means. That's not the saying. That's not how it goes. So. Right. That's three sheets too many. <laughs> three sheets Put too some many. back. You don't, you don't have that many sheets. So, uh, Blaine Neutron Weaver. Was born in Bossier City? Bossier. Bossier? Okay. I call, considering that's from Louisiana. Yeah, no, you were correct. It, it should be French, but we Americanized it. I want to call it Bossier City, because it's Bo- like, it's Bossier City. city. Yeah. It's like, there's the city, and then there's a city that's over the city, the Bossier City. Okay, so anyway, Blaine Neutron Weaver, which is actually a pretty damn cool name. Uh, he's an American actor, voice actor, and writer. In the late 1990s, he appeared in several TV movies and was also a guest star on several shows, including ER, JAG, (laughs) and Chicago Hope. In 2001, he became the new voice of Disney's Peter Pan and has performed that voice in various children's films and as well as recordings for Disney theme parks. In 2001, Weaver co-wrote the film Maniac, which starred actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You know what happened to the original voice of Peter Pan? She what? went through the change of life? I don't know. No, he was found dead in a tenement in New York. That's right. We talked about that on the Peter Pan episode and let us never speak of it again. <laughs> I, must, I must have been asleep because I don't remember that. Yeah, they found his they, they found his body. Like two kids were like wandering around some abandoned buildings and they found the guy who did the voice of Peter Pan uh dead in one of the buildings. So he was like penny. How did they know he drunk. was the voice of Peter Pan if he was dead? I well, think they found out later. Like they just thought it was some homeless guy that you poke with a stick. <laughs> no, it was it was like it was like in um Princess Bride where they blew into his they took the bellows and they pushed in his stomach <laughs> and it went, Let's go <laughs> He said, Woo and then they Woo. pumped it again, and he said something racist. <laughs> Sports. On April 11th, the 40th golf, golf, <laughs> golf I Masters champion. In this one. I know, but it's the end of words, so that's rough. Uh, Ray Floyd wins, shooting a 271. That's not on 118 holes, by the way. No, it's just on the first <laughs> hole. <laughs> they weren't that awful at golf back then. On uh, April 12th, NBA journeyman Brad Miller was born. Why is he a journeyman? 
That means you just got signed. Like you're not good enough to get signed to like five, six, seven year contracts. So you signed to one and two year contracts, and you just keep signing for different teams. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yep. All right. So uh, now on to the bad news bears. It's interesting about these movies because, like, we'd had this idea for a long time, but I think we'd sort of been putting it off because, as you could tell by our incredible sports coverage, three of the four of us are not, like, huge sports guys. No, uh, I, myself, am, use this as a model of why I didn't want to get involved in sports when I was a kid, but I do love Walter Matthau, so. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know, this is sort of like the prototype for the losers come together to do sports movies. It's almost like Animal House for kids. I can see that. Animal House. If Animal House was to have a baby with the Mighty Ducks and it came out incredibly racist (laughs) and inappropriate, uh, then you'd have the Bad News Bears. And don't take that as a sign that I didn't like the movie. No, 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 no. You're this just, was a straight up fact. <laughs> you are totally making a legit statement at this point. So, uh, before we get into that, though, first off, this is, I've started, I added one more thing onto the uh, info on these movies. Uh, this is sitting at a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 96% with 26 votes, which is pretty dang high. 26 people? I mean, honestly, we need to get a little more people in there voting on this, but, um, yeah, so if you have not seen this, this is the first of a trilogy of films that takes an unflinching look at the underbelly of Little League Baseball in Southern California. <laughs> Sorry. Former minor leaguer Morris Buttermaker is a lazy, beer-swilling, swimming pool cleaner who takes the money to coach the Bears, a bunch of disheveled misfits who have virtually no baseball talent. Realizing his dilemma, Coach Buttermaker brings aboard pitching ace Amanda Wurlitzer, the daughter of a former girlfriend, and Kelly Leak a motorcycle punk who happens to be the best player around. Brimming with confidence, the Bears look to sweep into the championship game and avenge the earlier loss to their nemesis, the Yankees. And I'm going to give a big shout-out to uh, whoever Rick Gregory is, because he wrote a much better synopsis of the movie than IMDb did. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty good. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Yankees. So, so uh, before we get into who was in the movie... Jodie Foster was cast at one point as Amanda Wurlitzer, but dropped out in order to play Iris in Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. I could see that, and better career move? Yeah, I think both films were better for it. Yeah, I really do. I don't think that would have been, it would have been as, um, I don't think she would have been as charming. Right. I mean, she could have pulled the tomboy angle, no problem. But, I don't know, Tatum (laughs) O'Neill just had something in this role that uh honestly she made uh the movie for me even more than uh walter Matthau. right all right so uh, also one of the actresses who tried out for the role of amanda was sarah jessica parker well, this is be this is pre-horse face <clears throat> jessica parker. oh this is way pre-horse face this is even pre um square pegs square pegs yeah, yeah. man I am so depressed that you are the only other person in the group that said square pegs with me, Joel. I was thinking Footloose. Because I'm sitting here trying to think of the name of the movie that she was in. Uh, Girls just want to have fun. Damn it. It took me too long. That's a classic with Helen Hunt. Yeah. I always go to Footloose as my, whenever someone talks about horse face Sarah Jessica Parker, it's like, well, yeah, but look back at Footloose when she was not a horse. That's true. And at this point, she was probably even less of a horse. She wasn't even a pony. (laughs) She uh, was a foal. (laughs) Yeah. Throughout the film, Coach Buttermaker is constantly drinking beer. Constantly. Yep. Mm-hmm. As in, like, all the time. I do not recall a moment in this movie where he was not holding a beer. 
Well, when uh, he had both hands on a bat, that was about it. <laughs> that was about it. Yeah, both hands on a bat, but only one hand on the wheel. Um, he is oh, seldom seen drinking the same brand. Buttermaker has seen us various times in the film, drinking Budweiser, Miller High Life, Schlitz Kingers, Pabst Blue Ribbon, Lucky Lager, and Coors. The cool refreshing. No, that's hams. <laughs> yeah, uh, no hams. I didn't <laughs> see like any hams. <laughs> and uh, the film's poster art was drawn by a one Jack Davis... Uh, who am I? I am a total fanboy of. Uh, one of the founding illustrators of Mad Magazine. You know, is he the one the that post- draws. Oh, go ahead. Is he the one that draws everything like really tall and thin? Yeah. No, that is. Um, oh, uh, shit. Begins with a D. Don. Don. Davis. Uh, frack. No, the, frack. we're the really, really, really uh, uh, oblong head. Yeah. Um, now this guy, uh, he did most of their Don Martin. Don Martin yeah. He did most of their uh, parody pieces, where in general the celebrities had slightly oversized heads, and you can kind of see that in the poster. Oh yeah, you and honestly, you look at the poster and you immediately think of Mad Magazine. At least I do. He drew very realistic character caricatures, but they're we're gonna let we're gonna let that pass. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> he he gave us a couple Caric- extra syllables. We'll give him his change later. Okay. Caricatures. <laughs> The guys say cinema photography, so whatever. Movies. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is directed by Michael Ritchie, who is known for such other movies as Fletch, The Golden Child, The Survivors, Fletch Lives, and The Couch Trip. I, I, I want the knife. That's a pretty decent lineup. That yeah. really is. If when, That's when you, a career right there. Yeah, when you toss uh, you toss Bad News Bears in here, I mean, that is a good, solid amount of... Uh, the of Couch uh, Trip is a pretty funny movie, too. I don't know if you guys are familiar. It's I'm familiar I, with I, that one. Actually, I put in... He also did, um, well, the, uh, the Survivors, that was with Robin Williams and Walter Matthau, which was really funny, uh, and also did Wildcats. Oh, I love that Goldie movie. movie. With Goldie Hawn, yeah. Love that movie. Why? Because Goldie Hawn is Wildcats. Oh, The Outsider. Okay. I I, I was like, what the? Because he also uh, did a show called The The Outsider. And I was like, that's so familiar to me. It was a Darren McGavin show. Yeah. And he also did some good drama. He did uh, The The Candidate starring Robert Redford, which I think wasn't that. That was remade, wasn't it? Uh, I think so. Are you thinking of Manchur- Manchurian Candidate or the candidate? No, no, no. That was the one with um, crap. The guy from ah shit. He was in. He was in Butch Cassidy and the Science Kid. Paul Newman. Paul Newman? No, the other guy. Not Paul Newman. <laughs> now suddenly I've, I've drawn a blank too. <laughs> no shit. What was it? Uh, uh, Bosworth. How the hell have I drawn a blank on his bomb? Name? Uh, B. It began with a B. <laughs> He was running for president, and I can't think of it now. There's no Robert way. You s- tell me, now. tell me, you see this? It's a it, Robert Redford. Right? Yeah, it was Robert Thank Redford. You, he, God he, damn it! God, it was driving me crazy. I could see the poster of them running. In where, yeah, where he's wearing like the hat backwards, and I was just imagining the sting, and I still couldn't get there. Oh, crap! What's the name of that? The candidates, solo film, skinwalkers. This is amazing radio. Joel, get on that. Figure that out. What am I? What am I figuring out? Bo- Bosworth. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what the point of any of this is. I have no idea what you're talking. Anyway, about. <laughs> I think this movie was that movie was re- remade. Anyway, what are we talking about? We're going on to the writer Bill Lancaster, who is known for the Bad News Bears, the Bad News Bears Breaking Training, the Bad News Bears in Japan, and the Thing. The candidate, Robert Redford, on the poster, he's blowing a uh, bubble with bubble gum. That's the movie I just talked about. 
Right, but I don't see a remake of it. Huh. Yet. Am I having a stroke? You yes. might be. Um, Moving on. So, the cast. Well, yeah, the cast. Oh, I want to talk about this other movie some more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, let's spend another 40 minutes on the candidates. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is starring Walter Matthau of The Odd Couple and the taking of Pelham 123 as Coach Morris Buttermaker. Tatum O'Meal of uh, Paper Moon fame, which is one of my favorite movies. Really? It's a good movie. Oh, it's I mean, a great movie. Uh, as Ryan, Amanda Worldser. Ryan O'Neill, or Ryan, what's his name? That was with her in that movie. Jesus. Oh, let's not do this let's shit again. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, you guys are not going to be fumbling for names. For no, we're in, it's amazing, amazing know. show we have tonight. So also starring Vic Morrow, uh, known for Twilight Zone, the movie, where he was killed by a helicopter. That's such a shame. That that's uh, he's a talented actor, but that's what he's always going to be known for. Yeah, yeah Ryan O'Neill. So uh, also uh, Joyce Van Patten for This Must Be the Place and lots of TV ep- uh, episodes. Have you guys seen This Must Be the Place? Uh, I wanted to see it. That's the Sean Penn movie, right? Yeah, it's a Sean. It's like where Sean Penn plays the lead singer of The Cure, who find who is hunting down the Nazi that tortured his father in World War II to kill him. I've huh. heard it's really good, but really weird. It looks really premise. strange, but it's streaming on Netflix, I believe. Currently. Yes, yes, it is. Um, ben Piazza, who is known for the Bad News Bears and Blues Brothers and The Mask. Uh, also, Jackie Earl Haley, who did absolutely nothing after this. <laughs> did this movie and then disappeared from sight. Yes, absolutely nothing after this. He was actually replaced by Rorschach. Yes. Actually, Rorschach, who's been playing everything <laughs> since Watchmen. Well, he know. did He did Rorschach's voice. And he played the character. He did, he did? More yeah. he play the character? Oh, I must have been yeah. looking at the video game. Okay. So, but yeah, also known for playing uh, Freddy Krueger. And he was in the RoboCop remake we did a show on. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. true. Uh, Alfred Letter III, who uh, was playing Ogilvy. Yeah, he did some other like kid roles in the 70s. But yeah, that was about it. Woody Allen movies and that sort of thing. He played the awkward kid. And then nobody else really has anything. Yeah, yeah most of the rest of the cast, are the, their entire career is the sequels for Bad News Bears. Mm-hmm. So they did this movie and the next two. So... Um, yeah, so let's get into this. First off, goddamn kids were racist back then. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, it was mostly uh, Tanner, the little kid with the Napoleon complex who just wanted to fight everybody. <laughs> I love Tanner. I thought Tanner was a riot. I love, and I'm I'm going to say this outset. I I, mean, I know I may be spoiling it for later, but I love this cast. I really, I really, actually enjoyed watching this movie. Yeah, I think we're going to disagree about the second half of the show. Uh Uh-oh. I I look at Twitter. Mm. The opinions Mike espouses on Twitter are not necessarily those of the rest of us. All right, so Walter Matthau, as uh, Morris Buttermaker, shows up to the ball field with a can of Coors. I think he started out with Coors. I think he had one of the Kingers. Oh, really? Okay. Beginning, I had a Schlitz. He had something in his hand that he dumps out half of it and he pours in some uh, wild turkey in the top. He basically made a Nader beer before Nader beer was a Nader beer. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. So, um, but you know what though? I this was completely dated, but I just enjoy, I just enjoyed everybody in this thing. Though it seems like in this time, apparently 1976, everybody was angry at each other all the time. 
Well, I mean, this was a, a skewering of the Little League, like what it does to kids, the over-competitiveness, the backstabbing, the way it changes adults. And you kind of see that from the beginning. I mean, the plot setup is the Bad News Bears are only part of the league because the father of one of the kids sued to get them into the league. And uh, they're already outsiders, and it turns out that they're they're also god awful terrible at baseball. Well, what's ironic about it is that it's just as true today as it is then. Oh yeah, yeah, it's just as bad these days. It seems like so. It, it, was, it has a timeless quality in that regard for sure. Yeah, it does suffer a little bit from seventies movie pacing, but I really, despite not being super into sports uh and it having some slow parts like sometimes we watch these old movies and i have to pause them and like do something else for a while and get back to it but i i watched this one all the way through and i i say i enjoyed it well would you talk about the 70s pacing this one was actually 10 minutes shorter than the 2005 counterpart yeah i it's weird though some of like, when I talk about seventies pacing, I talk about devoting a full like four minutes to watching a marching band walk around. Ah, okay, <laughs> yeah, setting I up mean, the marching band scene. Yeah, and don't forget that we added some additional characters in the next film and some additional scenes. So I don't know that that's a fair. It's like this one is not necessarily better paced just because it has a shorter runtime. Well, I. Initially, at the beginning of this movie, I started I started out not liking it. Like I said, it had that slow intro. Walter Matthau is there. There isn't a whole lot of dialogue in the, in the beginning. There's just a lot. You know, there's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of talking about. You know that you guys shouldn't be in the league to begin with. You know, you're going to get all the crap equipment, that sort of thing. But despite his incredible capacity for drinking beer. And his obvious uh, alcoholism and all that. Walter Matthau really grew on me by the end of the show, end of the movie. I really like char- his character. Kind of matures and <clears throat> has an actual character arc. Oh yeah, it re- I mean he really does. And it's I think the th- uh, the other part of it is is that um, he's really tragic. Well, sure. I mean the reason why after their first game, like they get the team together. And we can run down the stereotypes, but we've seen them in these kids' movies before. Like the foreign kid, the fat kid, the nerd, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. After that first game where they get blown out uh, until they don't even get to bat and the game is forfeited in the first inning, he looks at them and looks at his own life and realizes that he's quit everything he's ever tried. And he doesn't want to put them on the path to end up like him. And that's like his primary motivation is like, I'm a screw up. I don't want to make these kids screw ups. No, and I agree with you on that one. I mean, it's he even when the scene where he tries to reconcile with um, with Tatum O'Neill, with Amanda Wurlitzer, he goes to see her twice, you know, and he's. You know, he's trying to point out to her that, you know, hey, I've, you know, I wasn't the greatest person in the world, but you know what? I took you to the circus. I took you to the zoo, this sort of thing. He's trying to, like, almost chalk up the good things that he did to bring her into it. Almost like, I don't even know. He needs her on the team, but at the same time, I think he want, he's seen the failure that his life is, and he kind of wants to make amends with her. See, at, at that point, I think he still has selfish motives though so i don't know that that's all together i agree with joel on that because he's he even black almost blackmails her it's like yeah i saved your life you owe me do this for me and uh by the end like even uh, to the last game he's like when he feels her like trying to get close again he pushes her away about as hard as you can yeah that was a rough scene 
But that's, that's part of the reason why the character is, is interesting to watch and has that true arc is that he, he has a lot of very realistic qualities to him. And even though he's unlikable, he still is kind of the, the, the focus of the movie, his relationship with her. Yeah. And to see, uh, Tatum O'Neill's character who gets brought in, basically he taught her when, from the time she was nine, when he was dating her mother, how to be a pitcher because he used to be a minor leaguer and uh he taught her a fastball and she was an amazing pitcher for her age and he figures i'm gonna bring her in as a ringer see if we can't at least let the kids bat let's start with pitching right and he eventually guilts her slash talks her into playing and they go from losing a lot to losing by a little to almost winning in just a couple of games right he he plays this strategy of if they can't, we can't score, but if they can't score, you know, we'll take a tie. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? But, um, and eventually... They, it'll build confidence. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it's the... Eventually, they wind up uh, trying to find Jackie Earl Haley, who uh, pitches, throws the ball back to Walter Math and realizes that he has an incredible arm. Um, and uh, Tatum O'Neill plays, what, they play a game of air hockey against each other? Yep. And yeah, she bets him in air hockey. He'll play for the team if he if she wins, and he can name it. She'll do whatever if uh, he wins. Right. So he wins, and they go to a Rolling Stones concert. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit of a hint at one point that she kind of maybe might have let him win. Oh, yeah, that she threw it? Yeah. Yeah, so, she's definitely got an interest in him. One thing I do want to say is uh, apparently Jackie Earl Haley started balding at this time. <laughs> because... I, when I first saw him uh, as the motorcycle tough, I, I know they built his character up. I'm not going to say he didn't perform well, but physically, he kind of looked like a girl. Not that <laughs> yeah. that's a bad thing, but like yeah. he did not like venerate this like, I'm the tough kid. Maybe it was right. tough for the 70s. Well, Patrick, was it? Shut up. Uh, he, didn't have, was... he didn't have sleeveless shirts. So. Did you look I, like I, a girl I, back I, then? But I knew it. I, I almost said it myself. But... <laughs> I was hoping were, somebody was going to not bring it up. <laughs> there were a lot of kids on the other teams that looked like they could take him. Aside from the script says he uh, smokes and he rides a motorcycle, and so he's a badass. Well, but being a, a, being a uh, a loner and a and a bad seed and everything doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a tough kid. I mean, he just was doing his own thing and didn't care what anybody thought. Except the the kids, when they talk about him, he's at least got the reputation. Maybe it's not earned, but he's got the reputation of being a tough kid. True, true. Yeah. Es un bandito. <laughs> that made me, that made me uh, fall out. That was awesome. And, uh, oh, so here's some trivia that I actually tossed in there, that I didn't toss in there. Um, the two Hispanic kids did uh-huh. not speak Spanish. Really? They were, <laughs> they had, they actually spoke not a word of Spanish and had to, uh, really work to learn all their Spanish speaking parts. That's racist of you, German. Josh, to even assume that they spoke Spanish. <laughs> it's just interesting <laughs> that, uh, they went that direction in the seventies. Like I, I would expect that if, uh, the, if those characters, if you told me that the characters who played the, uh, brothers there didn't speak any Spanish today, but that, that surprised me. Right. We need two kids that only speak Spanish, but we don't want you to actually speak Spanish. <laughs> Cause it's easier to direct kids that speak. Right. English. We want you to be directable. Okay. That makes a little more sense to me. Perhaps. They so, could have had a, uh, I'm sure there are multilingual kids out there that auditioned. 
So here's just something else I want to toss out there. Walter Matthau. Get a sad card. <laughs> Walter Matthau is walking around pretty much 95% of this movie with a beer in his hand. Yeah, it was a different time. Don't you think at one point or another somebody would have been like, dude, you're standing on the mound smoking a cigar with a beer in your hand? You obviously were not a drinker in the 70s. I yeah. was four. <laughs> So, and? So maybe I was. I don't remember. I'm, I blacked out the entire year. Um. <laughs> I mean, keep in mind, this is the same time where no one calls Child Protective Services when the Yankees coach hits his son in the face so hard he knocks him <laughs> to the ground. God. That was... Uh, Sometimes the kid's got to get beat. <laughs> Just saying. What, what are they for if you can't hit them? Um, Thank you from the Texas delegate. Right. <laughs> The opinions of Patrick do not necessarily... Never mind. Uh, can we talk about Lupus? Not the disease, <laughs> the character. I loved Lupus. Lupus was such... I mean, he... Okay, he was Emo Phillips. <laughs> he was the drip among drips. Like, he was the lowest of the low. But when, uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the movie, when he shouted that insult at the, at, at the Yankees, that was adorable. What, wait right. till next year? Yeah, wait, wait, we come back next year! <laughs> Well, yeah, when he actually made the first catch he ever made because he was put in. I mean, the arc the film goes through as they recruit Kelly Leak and they start winning, but it's pretty much all Amanda and Kelly. And the other kids are practicing their fundamentals and they're getting better, but some of them still not everything's taking. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. They're winning games. And as they win games, something changes with Coach Buttermaker. He ends up like enjoying winning and starts to sacrifice other things yeah. uh, just to win. Well, he becomes Vic Morrow. He becomes Roy Turner for a little while. Sure. He's winning. So you know what? You're going to take the hit. You're going to lean into that pitch for the better betterment of the whole team. Yeah, he's screaming at the kids. He's telling them, I don't care if you're hurt. Do you want to win? S- shut up and do what I tell you. Okay, and before you go any further, the screaming at the kids thing, the first one where all the kids vote that they're not going to play anymore after the first game, and he gives them that long speech, and they all kind of look at him, and they're like, no, but we still quit. And he's like, get your ass out of the this is not a democracy. That was actually pretty damn funny. That was cool. And I'm not of the... There's a difference. He was yelling at the kids to motivate them rather than belittling them for not following his every instruction. Oh, yeah. Just to win. It was getting them moving versus terrorizing them. Yes. Yeah. And we'll it, see it. Go ahead. I was just going to say the difference there is one is for the betterment of the kids. The other one is to win the game. Yeah. And again, that's where it goes back to the, the, the believable character arc, because throughout the film, there's little nuances and things that happen that slowly make that progression from point A to point B, where it never feels forced or out of place. And it, and it's very uh, well written for a, a film that basically is not really a kid's movie, but it's it's supposed to be a kind of a, a comedy, like sports comedy with a little drama in it. Yeah, it's a family, family comedy drama. Yeah, and I mean, you, you see dramas that are made now that don't have a character that's that well written in my opinion as far as that arc is concerned a walter matthaus character yeah no i totally agree with you i mean he you walter matthaus at this point was an amazing actor i to his dying day he died in 2000 you know you think of like grumpy old men this man had a character he had it down oh uh for uh odd couple i mean you two of you guys were was it all three of you or two of you that were an odd couple? All three of us. All three of us. Yeah. yeah, I'm the only one that was not an odd couple. You can't tell me that Walter Matthau was not somebody that you looked at when you guys were, were doing this. 
I've loved Walter Matthau since I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, he just has that gruff demeanor. He's got that, you know, I guess, lovable, angry old man feeling to him, even in this. And I don't know, I just liked seeing him make that change. The scene where him and uh, Amanda, they get into where he finally says to her, look, the only reason you're here is because you can pitch. Don't think there's anything else. And she runs off crying. When Mathau turns around and he's crying, too, that was tearing me up. Yeah, yeah. When, when he's like, if I wanted your company, don't you think I'd have looked you up in the last three years? I was like, you say that to an adult, you destroy them. And he just said it to a 12-year-old girl. Yeah. Yeah, that was hard to watch. And and that, I mean, that character arc, that change was, uh, was actually very drastic for him. I mean, I don't think that was a, I mean, because he, I'm granted he still keeps drinking, but I mean, he's he sees he sees that he's actually having an effect on these kids who were complete and utter losers beforehand, but are getting that confidence. They're actually winning. They're actually succeeding, and he gets so caught up in it, he gets caught into the trap and turns into the Roy Turner. And then at the very end, and then the well, I didn't play nine. He played six innings. Yeah, six. Mm-hmm. So in the sixth inning of the last game, he's like, you know what? Screw it. You know, Lupus, get out there. I, I almost think with Amanda, though, there was something else going on there. It's not just that he was turning into Roy, because he had an effect on all the kids. But this is a kid who he was almost a father to. He knew he didn't do a very good job. He used her, and he could see her getting those old feelings back and thinking that things are going to be like this from here on out. And... The whole concept scares the shit out of him because he knows that he has not been the greatest influence on her life. Mm -hmm. And he he just wants to hurt her so bad that she doesn't even try to get close to him again. Well, I think part of that was from the fact when she started um, talking about bringing her mom to the game. Sure. So we never, I mean, that's one of the great mysteries of this movie. You never find out what happened with Buttermaker and uh, Amanda's mom. Sometimes adults don't get along so good. Yeah, and that's all you find out. Some, you know, we didn't get along. That's it. But you know what? You and I got along. We're still. I mean, he starts building this relationship up, and I think when she's talked about bringing in her her mom to see the game, I think he panicked. Oh sure, I, I think that his uh, association with her, positive or negative, just as a continuing influence on her life. That notion scared the hell out of him because he couldn't really hurt her when he wasn't around. Right. And now they were close enough, he could actually hurt her. So he's like, well, I do less damage if in the short term I push her away. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's sad. I mean, he, he was, he's so close in this situation to bring her back and have building relationship with her. But the whole concept of him actually having to interact with her mom again makes him, you know, almost slap her straight away. So, are are we to talking about the ending? Because it's it's one of the things a lot of people talk about is like the reason why they love this film. I think we should because I'm getting depressed. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're to that point. Yeah. Well, some women are just so awful you don't even want to spend time with their children, no matter how great they are. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Walter. I have, I have a particular ex who I heard I miss her children much more than I miss her. <laughs> That's, 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 I can, yeah, okay. Patrick's trying to work through his own character arc in the yeah. course of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so the ending, uh, after letting all of the kids who never got a shot play in the final game, and some of them acquit themselves pretty well, but they give up their lead, and they end up needing to score four times to tie 
five to win. Mm-hmm. And still, he he starts putting the kids out there. He he's got uh, Kelly Leak batting cleanup, but he's got some of the kids that aren't so great batting before, and they demonstrate that they have learned from what he's taught them. Yeah, you see one kid demonstrate the bunt. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it totally reminded me of the scene in, in Necessary Roughness. When, when um, Rob Schneider's character as the announcer is like, maybe now is not the best time to make sure everybody's played. <laughs> right? But the thing is, is he got a look at what happened when Roy got so overcompetitive that he screamed at his own son to the point where uh, his kid got frustrated and threw a ball at the head of the fat kid who'd been just tormenting him the entire time. And the kid, his own son, grabbed the ball and held on to it to make sure that he uh, would take from his father the only thing he really cared about, which was winning the game. Yeah, and that and that whole scene. I mean, when when uh, Vic Morrow, when Roy Turner slaps down his son on the mound in front of everybody, that was that was really awkward. I mean, well, I don't sure. know. Sure. He would have been carried out in cuffs. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, if he had backhanded his son out in front of everybody, yeah, you lay a bet that, you know, the second he walked out there, I bet, you know, 20% of the people would have had 9-1 dialed on their phone. But, um... You just can't beat your kids anymore like you could back in the day. Thank you, Patrick. Um, <laughs> it's the turning point, though, that leads us to this ending where you've got the three kids on base and Kelly leaks up, and Vic Morrow's character decides we're going to walk him. And uh, setting us up for what we think is going to be the textbook ending for this sort of movie, uh, Buttermaker tells Kelly, yeah, swing at it. And he swings away and uh, connects line drive out into the outfield, and uh, three of the four of them make it home, and Kelly slides for the plate, and he's called out. Yes, and that actually was part of the... They tested that with the audience, and they found out that the them losing was actually tested better than them winning. Yep. Because... Oh, well, I mean, I'm just saying because it was like they're the losers, you know, they're the... They didn't win, but it was more of a victory for them at the end. When, especially when they one kid chucks the trophy back at him, but uh, but no, I mean it's they're the bad news bears. They're not there to win. They're there to make a stand almost. Right. That was the whole point of the arc of the la- the story of that last game is that winning isn't the most important thing. The Yankees get to go home, and for them, it's just another trophy. It's this year's trophy. For the kids uh, on the like bed, each one of them gets a trophy bigger than they got for the whole team, oh, right? I know. And it it doesn't matter because you look at the reaction. The kids who lost, each of them has had an experience that they're going to remember for the rest of their lives, and they're happy about it, even though that they lost. And the kids who uh, won are kind of walking away, like, "What just happened? Like, okay, right. we got the trophy, we won. Why, why well, aren't we happy? Right? Why do we feel like shit because we won? In the meantime, the bad news bears are chugging beers right on home plate. <laughs> yeah, and noticeably, like actual beers, not the not out non-alcoholic. Beers. Right. I'm just gonna say that there. I mean, 1976. Totally different world. Nobody calls out the fact that these kids are 
walk out onto home plate with a beer in each of their hands. Yeah. Now, I thought it was awesome because... Time for the trophy presentation. Oh, all the other, the other team's already drunk. Yeah. No, but it's like... But math... Well, when Walter Matho comes back to the thing and starts handing him out, it's like, you've earned it. We're celebrating. <laughs> and then they have that beer fight at the end after um, after Lupus because that wait till next year and they chuck the trophy back at him. I really felt good for these kids. Yeah. You know, and with so many movies that come out with they this, so many that have that feel good, um, uh, formula to them. You know, you have A plus B equals C and everybody comes out feeling great. I mean, trust me, I got kids. I've seen more than my fair share of these movies. This one actually, by the end of it, I'm like, those kids earned that. I felt good for Lupus. I felt good for Amanda. I felt good for everybody in this movie. Well, except for the, uh, the Yankees, the the except team. for the coach of the other team, because he gets killed <laughs> by a helicopter. But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I actually, this is one of the few movies where I came out of it. I'm like, this movie wanted to make me feel good for these kids, and I actually care about them. Yep. I actually, you know, look at Kelly, Kelly Leak. Yeah, you know, he's this balding twelve year old. <laughs> but I uh-huh. feel, I feel, I. He's a balding Joan Jett impersonator. Right. <laughs> a balding girly badass. Right. Tanner. Tanner is this little kid who's just angry at everybody. But you know what? By the end of it, he's having fun with the rest of them. And at the he's end the, of this... He's the racist with the heart of gold. Aww. <laughs> Holy crap. What a line at the very beginning of the movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, when he's just throwing out the slurs about what the team's comprised of. And, and now a woman... <laughs> What? I was like, wow. <laughs> like, we're jumping right into the pool with this one, huh, guys? It this is a, a kid that time. wants to make America great oh. again. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and Josh wins. That's beautiful. But no, uh, I, I actually felt good for these kids. And it's not often nowadays, I mean, that I'm watching a movie where it's supposed to be, yeah, everybody comes out happy at the end. Where I'm not like, yeah, this is just calculated bullshit. Oh, this... yeah. I, I firmly believe that if the ending had been shot where they'd won the game, we wouldn't be doing the show because it would have been just another movie. Right. Right. It totally would have. That got them a lot of press, the way they, the movie ended. It really did. So, I think we've uh, come around home to these, to this movie. <laughs> I think so. Uh... Yeah. It really took me a moment to actually think of a baseball term. Yeah, we rounded the bases. <laughs> took me a second there. Want to take Time a break? Time for the seventh inning stretch. Yeah. All right. So I've we. I've been holding out. You've been holding out. Well, Never I was for the left. For the left, I was. <laughs> nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Welcome back. We are, uh, we're talking about bad new bear, bad news bears. What? Uh, <laughs> we know he doesn't like it. It's not the bad new bears. Bad new bears. <laughs> it suddenly it, it turned into a Vietnamese movie. Like, yeah, 2005, uh, with, uh, Billy Bob Thornton as Morris Buttermaker. Um, this one in backing me up has a 48% Rotten Tomatoes rating with 158 votes. Um, directed well, don't, by... Don't ruin it by giving it away what you think of it yet. I, I told <laughs> you. I gave it away I, on Twitter. I that, said that on Twitter, exactly. Yeah, okay, that was the funny part, okay. That's the joke. <laughs> so, uh, this is directed by Richard Linklater, who did such, uh, comedies as Days and Confused, School of Rock, and the more recent Everybody Wants Some, which is Not kind familiar of, with that. That's actually it's... like a spiritual successor to Days, Days and Confused. 
He did Slacker. He did Boyhood. He's quite a prolific director. Yeah, he did something like Just Before Dawn, Just Before Noon, and Just Before Midnight, something I mean, like that. Before Sunrise, <laughs> Before Sunset, sunset those movies? And, yeah. yeah. He did those? Before, he did those. Yes. Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and then there was another one that Yeah, it was, the last one was called Slightly After Dusk. <laughs> just Before Brunch. <laughs> <laughs> With Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke, yes. All right. So, yeah. So that, yeah, I uh, saw the first one with you, Joe. <coughs> Joel. Joel. I said it that way. I saw that with you, Joel. Joel. <laughs> All right. You're getting too artsy for me. Apparently, apparently you're from Krypton now. <laughs> Joel. Uh, so this is written by, uh, well, they give Bill uh, Lancaster credit for the 1976 screenwriting uh, screenplay because they completely ripped it off. Uh, Glenn Ficarra, who also wrote I Love You, Philip Morris. Focus and Bad Santa. You're aware of how remakes work, right? Yeah, but it's... <laughs> I figured remakes would be more than just photocopying the script. Uh, this should be the time in our show's history where we explain to Mike what remakes are. <laughs> yes. Uh, John Requa, uh, who did I Love You, Philip Morris, Focus, Bad Santa, and also Cats vs. Dogs. One of these things is not like the others. The Return of Kitty Galore or the first one? No, just the first one. Okay. So I guess since, uh, as Mike had said, in a lot of cases, this is a shot-for-shot and line-for-line remake, which I don't mind at all, personally. We should talk about what's different. Uh, some of the things they did were pretty big updates. The coach uh, gets ob- laid. <laughs> well, yeah. Billy Bob Thornton is the biggest difference. Is His character, <clears throat> while he says some of the same lines, many of the same lines, his character is different. Uh, he is less of a boozer just to get drunk. He is a loser and a boozer, but he's also a serial womanizer. And yeah. they definitely, both in his appearance... Sometimes he says the same lines with a different delivery, more in keeping with his version of Buttermaker. And the world changes a little bit around the changes to his characters. Uh, we get the nod to him looking for a uh, sponsor at Chico's Bail Bonds, which was the sponsor of the kids' uh, uniforms in the first one. Mm-hmm. I thought that was I thought that was actually well done because I thought they were going with the Chico's Bail Bonds. Yeah, and, and then the strip club is the right. uh, and, and then the, them as cheerleaders throughout the rest of the movie was really well done. That was funny. Yeah. Let's 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 um get a little bit of the uh, trivia out of the way first off. Yeah, we'll get back <coughs> to yeah. different. All right, so uh, first off, Billy Bob Thornton plays the Morris Buttermaker role. Uh, Greg Kinnear plays Roy Bullock. Uh, Marsha Gay Hardon uh, is Liz <laughs> Whitewood. Sorry. <laughs> Sammy Kane Craft uh, as Amanda Wurlitzer. And I don't care. <laughs> Sammy Kane Craft, and I don't care. Dude, when we get to the trivia, you guys are going to regret that joke. Yeah, I know, right? Doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ridge Canapé, who is known for being in Walk the Line and uh, Supernatural, is Toby Whitewood. Brandon Craggs, Mike Engelberg, Jeffrey Davies, who is known for uh, the Bad News Bears, as Kelly Leak. Much more believable street tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he actually Less, looked... less likely to be carried away by a stiff breeze. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Timmy Dieters as Tanner Boyle, Carlos Estrada as Miguel Aguilar, Emmanuel Estrada as Jose Aguilar. Are they related to Eric Estrada? I hope. Oh my God. There's they are in my head. In my head, they are completely. He is an actor known for the Bad News Bears. No, they are not related to Eric Estrada, but in my mind. Yeah, we are in, racist. In so. my heart, they are. Uh, Troy Gentile as uh, Matthew Hooper. Kenneth Casey Harris as Ahmad Abdul Rahim. Aman Johal as Prem Lari. Tyler Patrick Jones as Timmy Lupus. Lupus. 
Jeffrey Temidori Temori as Garo Darabaga Vengadengadenging. Close enough. Yeah. His Vengadon. name is my name too. <laughs> so does, it's also interesting to note that if they ever need to do a biopic of my life, they can have Troy uh, Gentile play young Josh. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> So, uh, despite the remake having a higher MPA rating than the original at PG-13 versus PG, the ratings board would not allow the remake to feature Coach... 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 Wow, I think, I think I'm channeling my buttermaker here tonight. <laughs> uh, drinking alcoholic beer in the dugout as he had in the original. Strangely enough, the board was fine with him spiking his N.A. beer with hard liquor. Yeah, he also served O'Doul's to the kids yes, at the end. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, and, um, hey, Pat, remember the crack you made about Sammy King Kraft? And you don't and care? I don't care. Yeah. So, um, real life baseball pro Sammy Kane Kraft first and only on screen performance because later she passed on in a tragic car crash at the age of 20. Yeah, messed up. I don't up. care. <laughs> messed up. She was, uh, in the middle of two cars, basically three car pileup. She was in the middle car oh. sandwich. And yeah, died. That's terrible. Yeah. The human crash appeed. I wonder if she had any corn with her. Dude. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. And if it cracked. So, in this complete photocopy of the original. Well, there were some pretty significant differences. Tell yeah, me why. I would call it a photocopy. Well, for one thing, uh, the character who hires Buttermaker is not only a different gender, but much more present in the film. Uh, a an inattentive watcher could have been forgiven uh, when Bob Whitewood shows up at the end going, who the fuck is this dude? Because you see him right at the beginning and he's gone for the whole movie until he comes to complain that they're not winning in, in the final scene. Oh, in the first one? Yeah. No. Yeah, he, he went from being a, just a, a sponsor of, of the law to get them to play to being an actual mother. Right. And that was the thing is he, he's in the first couple scenes. Then he says, uh, I'm cutting you a check. Um, this is stupid. Uh, make the kids quit. And then we barely see him at all for the rest of the movie until the end. Would you have oh, liked and, and he's there for the uniform scene too. Don't forget that. Sure. That's true. Would you have liked it better if he had come back and fucked Walter Matthau? Ooh. <laughs> in 1976, probably not. <laughs> That was the other thing is a lot of the changes are they're like, okay, this is not 1976. Some of the shit's not going to fly. Yeah. Like for first off, the um, Tanner. Okay. It, it, I, I feel sorry for the kid because they made him wear that haircut. But Tanner. Yeah, so the, for, the first scene is like the kid's obviously wearing a wig. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's no way that kid. I mean, that kid was obviously the, hey, remember that kid from the original? This is that kid. Right. Was, was his well, role. They had to give him the same haircut so you could identify him at once. Right. My problem with this movie is... Not enough Tanner? Well, no. It it was like they... In the original, Walter Matthau was handing out real, real beers to everybody. In this one, they're handing out N.A. beers to everybody. And they have to announce that they're handing N.A. beers to everybody. Because otherwise, people will get upset. It's like they want to push the line. They want to be edgy. They want to be as... Um, I don't say nonchalant, but uh, they want to be like the original, but they're afraid to cross that line that Walter Matthau stepped over so well. See, I'm going to call bullshit on that because it's not that they were afraid of offending anybody. It's that in the 2000s, if you hand kids beers, you don't get to the end of the movie, you go to fucking prison. 
that's just the way it is now. I mean, maybe that society has changed for the better, for the worst. I'm not getting into that argument. But today, society is different. And if someone said, we're going to remake this and have the characters act the way they acted in 76, people would be like, this movie doesn't make any sense because no, they don't even get to the last scene. His character would be arrested before game two. See, I think there was a deliberate ignoring of the way that, um, crap, I just lost his name. Buttermaker was in the first one. I will lay you a bet. In everyday life, if there was a, a coach of a baseball team, a mini, uh, a kitty baseball team that handed out beers to everybody, I will lay you a bet that every parent would be like, wait a second, that's not cool. You're not giving my kid a beer. I think it was they played to the absurdest of it, that in the first one, saying that Buttermaker was so ridiculous being able to hand out beers and nobody cares. I think they just ignored that fact in the original, and they felt in this one that they had to draw it back in order not to offend anybody. I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't want to get political. So No, 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 no. no. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get political. I just think that they went a little bit more for the the edginess in the first one. Like, wouldn't it be ridiculous if he actually handed them the beers? Oh, yeah, cool. I mean, I don't think anybody in 1976 is going to let their kids chug a beer after they win in, after they finish a baseball game. We didn't see any of the parents. It was a point, a plot point in the 76. Th- that is the, true. The, oh, true. Yeah, the, the parents weren't there <clears throat> to object in 76, so it was at least semi-believable. In this, whether it's a parent or not, any adult who saw another adult hand a kid a beer, dude goes to jail. And I, I think that they had to change certain things to say, okay... If we do this this way, it's not going to make sense to modern audiences. It's and they turned some of the tropes on their on their heads with uh, regards to a lot of the race stuff with uh, Amada Dul Rahim. They changed around his character a little bit because it's the original Rahim acted the way a kid in '76 would have acted, but yes. uh, a black kid in modern days. Acting that way, it would have seemed cartoonish, and it wouldn't have rang true. Yeah, stripping down and climbing a tree was kind of weird. Yeah. Now, here's a real question. How the hell did the kid in the wheelchair get in and out of the dugout? That is a great question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just tossing that out there because I'm like, there's no ramps. Well, I noticed he... at one point they made a concerted effort to show him like going to a particular entrance, and, and it looked like he was coming down a ramp. And I was like, okay, well, I guess they've accounted for that. And then the next thing you know, he's leaving the dugout from a different direction. I'm like, no, there's no ramp over there. Come on. Now. Yeah, I know for a fact he did not just go down three stairs. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Terrain wheelchair? Yeah. But, transformer? Yeah, that's it. He was a transformer. Um, what the hell was that? That was my transformer invitation. You had a like very it. fat transformer. Through the roof. And fresh dough. So okay, so they kind of they kind of s- split this character. Greg Kinnear plays Roy Bullock in this one. I will give you this that I did like Greg Kinnear as the douchebag other coach in this one a lot better than I did in the first one. Sure, he's not only a jackass, but he's a jackass that if you've ever lived anywhere near the suburbs, you've met this fucking guy. This guy lives on my fucking block. I'm sure <laughs> you you've seen where I live. I the second he stepped out, I hated him. The passive aggressive suburban dad, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, promoting his shitty car dealership, at and, the and like always trying to say, always trying to say you're doing everything for the kids, mm-hmm. right? And he's yeah. truly just out. See, I try not to do that. I try to be the aggressive aggressive suburban dad. 
<laughs> there's nothing passive about my yeah. anger. No, no, there's nothing passive about this. But uh, but no, Greg Kinnear, honestly, for what he for the character that he had to play, I in in roles that he has played like um, as good as it gets, and the other thing, Little Miss Sunshine, where he plays this. Uh, empathetic type of guy that you really feel good for. He plays a douchebag really well. Absolutely. He's just a, he's just a great actor, in all honesty. I, was, I like him in just about everything I've ever seen him do. And then you think about him back when he was still doing, um, what was that, that? Talk Soup. Talk Soup, yeah. You never expected this range of, this, this range at all from this guy. Yeah, and it's hard to compare some of the other side to side, because Billy Bob Thornton even though his lines are all the same, his buttermaker is not Mathau's buttermaker. No. It's no. it's weird that they say the same words, but in some cases with different delivery that is changed by their personalities. And I don't want to say one's better than the other because it's very difficult for me to compare the two. Um, I, I'd have to give the edge to Marsha Gay Harden basically because she was present. Uh, the, the other guy was a, a vague sketch of a partial character. And that's fine. That's all he needed to be. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it was 76. You needed to have the, that character was filled. You knew that he existed. How much further did they need to get at that point? Uh, and the super, I'm an independent woman helicopter mom is another person everybody has met. Yes. Another real um, life trope. I have met this person. And as much as I liked Sammy Canecraft, I, I will give it to you for comparing side by side. She is not and could never be a Tatum O'Neill. No. Well, I, mean, I mean, not anymore. Well, she's right. definitely not going to do it now. I feel really bad for saying that. But, I mean, that's the thing. is Comparing <laughs> the performances like side by side. Um, and uh, Kelly Leak, I, I think... Is everyone going to agree with me that as much as I love Jackie Earl Haley, Jeffrey he was, Davis... He was better as... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was. Better Kelly. Oh, yeah. Tanner from the first one was a better Tanner. Sure. Uh, I would put the uh, uh, Ahmad Abdul-Rahim's about the same. Most I of like the characters. The, I like the Mexican brothers better in this one because they had more lines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I liked, I liked the... Ex- it it ex- means you're a bag full of douche. Yeah. That that actually was great. I mean, the the more tertiary characters actually get some lines. You get a little bit more exposure on them on this one, which I appreciated. Yeah, the Armenian kid, uh, Garo, and I, even I'm not going to try for that last name. Yeah, but he but, got a lot more screen time. That's for sure. And he uh, took some of like the the kid who was struggling because he couldn't live up to his family's expectation. That was a big thing of Ahmad's in the first. Part of that got uh, shifted to Garo in this. Yeah. Uh, if I wanted to make a complaint about the way they split up character roles, uh, Lupus was almost had too much of his stuff sh- uh, shifted to Matt Hooper, the wheelchair kid. Yeah. Yeah, so, I agree with you there. And I mean, the kid- to, to the point of even taking away Lupus's grand moment of making the catch at the end of the movie. Right. And that was the thing is uh, Lupus... And his line that I loved so much he didn't get in at the end. That's true. Right. They they neutered Lupus. Yeah. Poor kid's already neutered enough. It's not Lupus. It's never Lupus. He he did look like Emo (laughs) Phillips, though. Yeah, and he still had his getting picked on scene. And it was a little better than getting uh, ketchup in a baseball cap. They they almost tipped an outhouse over with him inside it. Yeah, Yeah, that was pretty nasty. So, I mean, this is what I look for in a remake where it uh, brings the pacing to a modern spot. It updates the things that need to be updated in order for the story to make sense. 
Sure, some of the performances in the original were better, but I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I might be the only one, but overall, I preferred the remake over the original. Mm. Well, we know you disagree. <laughs> I, I'm i taking what you've said to heart, and I'm listening to it. I do agree with you on some of the things, and in this last conversation of you describing what you've seen in this movie, and my dislike for it has dropped, but I still think that they were... <sighs> In their in their enthusiasm to catch the magic of the first one, they weren't able to generate any of their own. I'm curious as to what, since uh, we'd drawn our lines in the sand before even the break, I'm curious as to where Pat and Joel are coming from on this one. Well, first of all, I want to ask something real quick, though. Do you guys feel that Buttermaker in this version had as big of an arc, or was it as obvious, or was it as well done as the original? I think it was. It was almost a different arc where... He was sort of weary and sad, just almost from the beginning about his life. He's going through the motions, this kind of like cheesy Guy Fieri lifestyle, uh, where he's trading on who he used to be in order to get laid. And as he's getting older, he's finding <coughs> that uh, being kind of a charismatic scumbag is working for him. <clears throat> But he's not particularly happy, and he has a very similar moment with Amanda again, where he uh, gets scared and pushes her away because he doesn't want to be a bad influence in her life. He thinks she's better. She deserves better than him as a father figure, and he's probably right. But he ends up turning. Uh, You can almost see the change when he realizes he's turning into Greg Kinnear's Roy Bullock, uh, him and his smuggling grapes in his pants, which I thought was an <laughs> awesome thing they kept calling back to. That was a great line. <laughs> Looks, but no, um, I think I think his character change was different. It wasn't as pronounced as the '76 version. You know, where it was almost like you said with the '70s pacing, you ha- almost have to have that flag in the movie that says, this is where he has a change of heart. <laughs> right. In this one, it was more, it was more subtle. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't that like fireworks go off at that moment type of thing. Yes. Yeah, directing, directing a movie in the seventies was a lot like directing a plane in for landing. It's like you have very obvious big movements, strokes like this way through the plot. And as long as it gets there and nobody dies. <laughs> <laughs> Just like oh, driving with Pat. Hey. Or- Sammy, um, I I've never been in an accident. Well, I, see, I didn't see the the changes as obviously. It didn't feel like he had as big of a an arc to me for some reason. But um, that's why I wanted your opinion on it because it felt much more subtle and not quite as as drastic. You know what I do have to say made me laugh pretty hard is when Lupus fell out of the car. <laughs> when he, that was pretty good. When he's like, "Don't lean on the door, man." Some of the throwaway moments from Billy Bob Thornton were also really funny. Just like baseball is like a German chick. Uh, you love it, doesn't always love you back. <laughs> or it's like baseball, what was the other one? Winning like, losing like this is like, you know, kissing your sister. You're, uh, <laughs> what is it? It's not like kissing your sister. It's like kissing a half-sister. Yeah, and then your, your hot stepsister. Hot stepsister where, you know, really don't have as much invested in it. And he almost like, in that scene, he's like, the hell am I, I talking should, about? Should, I should stop talking. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, despite what you feel about the movie as a whole, I mean, Billy Bob Thornton was the best modern uh, 
archetype to play that character. Oh yeah, he he completely yeah. was. I agree I mean, with he you. He was yeah. halfway between his bad Santa and his coach from Friday Night Lights. Yeah, he's I, like bad Santa light. That's ex- that, I think that's it. I think if they had pushed him a little bit further towards full on bad Santa, like three quarters <laughs> bad Santa, I think I would have enjoyed this more. It wouldn't yep. have been PG thirteen though. Yeah, no, they, they see, definitely that's... had to neuter him for for the PG thirteen rating. But I agree with Mike. It feels like this should have been a bit more closer to an R rating and gone for that aspect, and it would have worked a little better to me. I think. See, I, I think if they pushed it any further, because keep in mind that rating films has also changed in the last. Sure. 40 years. Yeah. So they were probably pushing it ju- to get a PG-13. And a film like this, if it doesn't get PG-13, it's dead. Oh, yeah. A kid's movie, a, a movie about Little League Baseball that's rated R yeah. would die. No, and I... I it wasn't that hardball? <laughs> I was going to say, Keanu Reeves did it, but look what happened to that. Yeah. Right? Mm. So, okay, my official opinion on both movies... Um, First off, I'll just get this out of the way. I I would give a I give a thumbs up to both of them, but I think the original is more revered than it needs to be, and I think the the remake is more lambasted than it needs to be. I think I think I think the truth of both of them lies somewhere in between. Like the first one is just it's it's not it's it's good, but it's not a it's not a staple of sports movies. I don't think it's just it's a good movie. I think if you want to, you know, if you want a good staple from that period of time, you go with something like um, The Longest Yard, which I hope we do at some point, by the way. We will. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, yeah we'll get the there. List. Good call. Yeah. And the the second one, I think, was just, it, it was unfairly just, just criticized because I think a lot of people venerate the first one a little too much and they felt it didn't deserve a remake. Well, I think part of my reaction to it is that I watched these two rapid fire one right after the other. It's interesting. So did I. And we had opposite reactions. Hmm. I watched them back to back, in fact. I watched the first one on Monday and I watched the second one today. See, I watched the first one on Monday and the second on Tuesday. So I watched them both yesterday. And I I had uh, vague memories of the first one from having seen it in the 80s. But I, I was so young, I had to refresh. And my expectations were sort of nowhere on the first one. And they were actually pretty low for the remake. And I was surprised that I liked it better than the original. I won't forced, to, forced to pick. I think I would probably go with the second one if I had to pick. Even though I, I like I like Billy Bob Thornton a lot, and I like Walter Matthau a lot. But um, I don't know the second one, the remake. I think it just I, I like the fact that all the characters were not two dimensional like they were in the in the first one. They, they fleshed them out a little more. Now, for me, I I think for the remake, I think it was a pet project of Richard Linklater that he wanted to take on. Um, and I'm I'm a big fan of his work. I, I I've enjoyed most everything he's done, but for some reason, this didn't work as well for me. I didn't hate it, but I don't ever need to see it again. Um, but that kind of stands true with the first one too. I I really enjoyed watching Walter Matthau work, and he just was so well cast and put so much into that character that. I enjoyed it for him, but again, it's not something I ever need to see again. Although I think both of them were good, just not like like Pat said. It's not. I think the the revere that it has, the original, maybe is a bit more for nostalgia or for what people remember from then than what it really was. Um, and I agree, this one probably the remake had a bit. Remakes are treated harshly, no matter what the, it seems like. The remake so. was was better, but the original was funnier. Yeah. You I, know, I had more laughing out loud moments watching the first one. As much as I'm a, a huge fan of the remake over the original, 
I'd find it difficult to disagree with that statement. Yeah, I think the uh, original may have actually been funnier. I can I can agree with you on that because there was I think maybe it may have just been the ridiculousness of it. I mean, like like uh, Tanner in the very beginning commenting about what his <laughs> commenting about what his team is made of. Yeah, I think a <laughs> lot of that may have been like, holy shit, they got away with saying that in a PG movie in 1976. Yeah. And it was still shocking then, but it was less. Uh, I, I don't want to say it's less offensive, but less um, taboo. Hmm? Yeah. yeah, less taboo. Thank you. That, that's definitely. The yeah, word. I think I that's mean, totally. Obviously, it. times have changed. We're not even quoting the lines. Yeah, right. on our <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm waiting for one of us to be like, get the balls like, to say that. But oh, I I have before, but I just don't feel like this is the moment. <laughs> right. This this is not the show you want to do that on. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I um, it reminds me of the John Mulaney bit where he's talking to a guy about you know uh, the N word versus versus midget, and he's like. He's like, you can't really debate the worstness of two words when you won't even say one of the words, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, I was. That's I kept, obviously the worst word. When I was watching this, I kept hoping that they weren't going to change the ending, um, because in in '76 and and well, movies like Rocky or some of the other movies at the time, they weren't afraid to have. It was a risk, but that you know they allowed the the movie to end on the download. I mean, look at Empire Strikes Back. I mean, yeah. there there was a time when that was accepted and it wasn't just, you know, student film trope that, you know, if you make a student film, you do the opposite of what Hollywood would want. So I was I was happy that they stuck with the ending because I had a, a feeling that they might do something different, but you, you can't really get away with that anymore, it seems like. They don't do that. So I was right there with you. I was afraid that my review of this movie was, and it was going so well until they didn't stick the landing, and I was very satisfied to see that they didn't change anything about the ending. No, I, I am... I am grateful that they did not change change the end. I think that them winning it would have ruined the entire arc of everybody. Sure, it would have been missing the point of the movie. Right, right. And it, I mean, honestly, it, that's one thing that I don't like about children's movies, sports movie tropes, is they the underdog always has to win, and that's just. I mean, there's nothing wrong with losing. Losing builds character too. I mean, sometimes you. I mean, sometimes that's part of life and part of growing up is feeling that sting of disappointment and and loss. Because if all you ever experience in life is winning, that first gonna, loss you, is going to really suck you, for you. You yeah, turn out to be Paris Hilton. You know? I mean, yeah. And all if you ever, if all you ever experience in life is losing, you could probably host a podcast. Oh, <laughs> your experience is losing. You end up owning a food truck. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. wow! The, 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 both movies are more about the journey than the destination. I mean, it was about them kind of figuring out their place in in that group and succeeding in their little ways, but not necessarily being number one. You know, they all had their their successes and they they won something well they beat you over the head with it in the remake you're like you know this is a moral victory that and that i think may have been a little bit of the draw for me draw away from it for me when especially when this is what you call i mean that is exactly the line this is a moral victory yep that's if you take it as she's talking to the audience and not her kid the character that's been presented, that's the sort of shit she would say. Like, okay, yeah. you're, you're right there. Yeah, that is a line that would come out of the the waspy woman. I mean, remember her at the beginning. It's like, yes, remember, drinking and driving don't go together. It's <laughs> the exact same kind of thing at the end when she's, yeah. she's a walking. Like, she's a walking PTA slogan. Right. That's yeah, a good point. Is true. 
God, I fucking hate her. Which again, <laughs> good, good casting for March Marsha Gay Harden. I mean, she plays a cold bitch very well. Yeah, well, she's got a man face, so I think she's a very handsome woman. She should yeah. give it back. <laughs> I don't know. She just yeah, I, I wouldn't call her traditionally you. like a knockout, but I got she's fairly attractive. I wouldn't She'd, say she was mannish. Well, maybe not mannish, but I don't think she played that whole I'm coming on to you scene at the fancy restaurant was kind of awkwardly, well, again, again, awkwardly with the, cringy. With, with the trope of the, of the uh, single cougar out there. I mean, she's not used to being vulnerable, and that character would not really know how to actually hit on someone, I think. No, that's right. true. Though that did lean into probably one of the funniest scenes for me in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm here, here to make sure you're oiling your glove. <laughs> And that was the thing is she was so bad at trying to seduce him, but then he comes out of her bedroom the next morning and Sarah was watching it with me and we both looked at yeah, Of course he did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was so funny they did the callback later. Like, I swear he came to my house and made sure I hold my glove. Make sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, All right. so yeah. final thoughts. Yeah, let's. Uh, I-, I think we don't have to do a thumbs up, thumbs down. I think we've pretty much covered that. Yeah, I think well, Joel. I don't. I don't know if Joel has a real. Well, he was kind of muddled a little. What's your thumbs up, thumbs down? I mean, I, I think overall, like I said, I think they were both good films, and I get why there's a staying power, but it's nothing I ever need to see again. And I think that uh, the original, especially, kind of gets put into a position more so than it, it should be, and and it makes me wonder with the two sequels that followed. I'm I've got this weird curiosity to know what they do with that because I mean where else do you go when you've done everything right the first time? I mean you go to Japan, obviously, right? But what else can you do with Buttermaker when he's already had his epiphany and and that, that there's a big Joel, giant Joel, period at the Joel, end of the film? What? Joel, thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> thumbs up on both, but again, nothing you go else. to Japan and drink sake instead of beer. There you go, right on. Yeah, there's no there's. I agree with you. There's nowhere to go with these characters, so we're done. Good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know where to take it from there. So next week. Yeah, what do we have on tap for next week? Next week, we're talking about work. We are talking about jobs we have had, which should Ooh, be interesting. Show. Because I think between the four of us, we probably have upwards of 50-plus jobs. It took the germs. I got- <laughs> work, work, work. Yeah, we're going to talk about jobs I, that we had. I may... I'm a top 40 on my own, and I'm not joking. I believe you. If we talk about, okay, <clears throat> if we're talking places of employment versus just like like jobs, like if I, if I was a bartender or we talk about all the different places I bar, I tended bar, that's a big difference. Sure. If we go if we go places of employment, I definitely am over 40. I don't know how to carry this one. Call in. Let us know how you want to hear about this because <laughs> we're obviously yeah, we, confused. Yeah, we're going to talk uh, at least in broad strokes about like our history with the working world from uh, the first jobs we had, what it was like in the years immediately pre and post college as we do, and then what careers we've had all the way up till now. I mean, we've got a situation now where two guys have regular jobs and two of us are self-employed. So. Right. I got my first job. I was wearing spandex shorts. And he's never taken them off. (laughs) (laughs) It's his own religion. It's magic underwear like the Mormons. (laughs) There are dozens of us. (laughs) So if uh, 
you'd like to give us a shout out to your opinions on this or another topic or uh, give us a bit of a opinion about what we're going to talk about next week, you can always give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Right. And you can also find us uh, on the web at uh, 40go14.com. And if you want to contact us in uh, text or talks to us on Facebook, look for 40go14 at Facebook and at 40go14 on Twitter. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Now I'm going to go have myself some Schlitz and wild turkey. <laughs> Ted O'Neill just got so hot as she got older. I thought you said (laughs) Tip O'Neill. Why would I say Tip O'Neill? Well, until you got to the (laughs) super hot, I was like, wait, what?